Arrive early, leave late. Thanks for listening to another episode. I'm Bethel Duran, your host. Now, for many years, I used to cover baseball and working for ESPN Radio. I used to be in and out of every Angel game, every Dodger game. But I always wondered how the beat writers treated the playoffs. So in the playoffs, everybody who is on TV, on radio, around the world seems like they get a credential. They tell you it's hard, but it's not. There's It goes from being three people to what, 200 people in the clubhouse. You're interviewing players on the field. It becomes a zoo. And there was nothing like the 2018 World Series. It was a zoo. The Dodgers come up short again. Back-to-back years, they go to the World Series and they lose. Last year, Game 7, heartbreaker. Nothing like a Game 7 in any sport. This year, it was just a steamroll by the Boston Red Sox who showed up to town and took it to the Dodgers, winning in five games. So for back-to-back years, Dodger fans see the visiting team celebrate the World Series on the field of Chavez Ravine. Joined today by Andy McCullough, who is the beat writer for the LA Times, and Bill Shakin, proud Canadian from Montreal, just found out, loves the Expos, but you are a the national baseball columnist. And Jorge Castillo started the season in Washington covering the Nationals midway through the year. Where you get traded or you get waivers? What happened to you? That was after waivers, I think. I got here September, I think, 10th was my first day so you're in playoff LA. playoff eligible? No, you weren't. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't. I came here right around the same time as Ryan Madsen. So when he saw me in the clubhouse, he was a little weirded out. Wait, but, oh, that's uh, right. Madsen was in yeah, Washington. Yeah, D.C. So when he saw me in the Dodgers clubhouse, I think he had like, why are you here kind of face. Did you tell him the same thing? Yeah. I mean, I told him I was. I came over just like you to follow you, man. Give me one word here, Andy. I know you went to Syracuse and you used to having 8 million words to write with. Give me one word to describe the Dodgers 2018. You know what? I disappointing. I, I really like. I, yeah. I was going to use that one. Do I have to pick a different one now? No, you can do whatever. Underwhelming. For, yeah, underwhelming. That's better actually. Jorge? That's better. Um, failure. <laughs> you know. What? I don't know. No, no, that's excessive. Wait, the reason I wanted to do it is because <laughs> that's excessive. when I went back and I looked at my friend's social media accounts, I saw the word failure. A lot of disappointing. Underwhelming. I didn't see much of it, but I can get that sense shaking. Why do you say underwhelming? Well, you had a team that got to Game 7 of the World Series last year, and as we've all written several million times, Kirk Gibson, Kirk Gibson, Kirk Gibson. Like, Kirk Gibson's a great guy. We should probably retire writing about Kirk Gibson, but that's going to require the Dodgers to win the World Series. They came within one game last year. They thought they had a better team this year. It turned out I don't think that they actually did, but... In the end, they got steamrolled in the World Series, and so we'll have another year of starting spring trading writing about the Dodgers looking for their first World Series win since Kirk Gibson. 1988, a whole generation. Almost two. Yeah, we're on the brink of it. Andy, why disappointing? Because they weren't as good as they should have been, and that extends to the regular season as well. They lost too many games. They put themselves in the most difficult position possible to win series, and that made it more difficult to get through the postseason. You know, if they had beaten Milwaukee in the amount of time it should have taken them to beat Milwaukee, they could have started Walker Bueller twice against the Boston Red Sox. You know, if they had not had to go to game 163, they wouldn't have had to save Bueller till game three against the Atlanta Braves. Like they did basically like put themselves in a spot where they couldn't optimize their roster in a way that they were able to in 2017. And their ability to shoot themselves in their own foot 
they had enough talent and the National League was bad enough that they were able to get away with it, basically up until they ran into a team who had as much talent as them. I mean, I think the Red Sox were a very good team. I think the idea that they're a historically great team is a little ridiculous, considering just there were teams openly tanking in the American League, especially in their own division. But they finally ran into a team who had as much talent as them, and they were just completely destroyed. Jorge, you have a different perspective because you weren't around the team all season long. You pick them up in September and you use the word failure. Why? Yeah, that was aggressive. That's the sort of coverage but, you're going to expect now. But, <laughs> but you know what? That's how a lot of Dodger fans feel. Right. And, and I think if their goal was to win the World Series, then they didn't win the World Series. And that is, you know, if you're going binary, you're going, that's a failure. Obviously, it was a successful year. They Back to the World Series, it's tough to do. Not many teams win back-to-back pennants. Um, I don't was the last time a team did that was Texas. I don't I don't remember. Um, 2010, 11, right? Where Texas? Well, won? No, it was 14 and 15 Royals. <laughs> yeah, Royals. There you go. He knows. So that's difficult to do. It was a successful year in a lot of ways, but if the goal is to win the World Series, you get back there and you don't win it, then you know, in some ways, it is a it is a failure. I think there were internal expectations to win the World Series. Like they thought they were the best, they're very talented team, and they were, as Andy said. So if you're going by that, you sort of you know black white, then it was a failure. And this was this team thinking they were too good or thinking that they were better than they really were? Um, that's a good question. I mean, Thank they you. definitely were <laughs> they they <laughs> definitely were uh overconfident, not so much about their ability but about their ability to actually execute. You know, they treated winning the pennant like it was a foregone conclusion when the season started and they played that way. Now, they had enough talent and they had enough ability to you know see that through they just made it so challenging on themselves that they weren't really set up in a good position to face the Red Sox yeah I mean I think they were an overconfident bunch you know I I don't think that really matters too much like you can be as confident as you want if you're winning 100 games if you run away with the division if you're not really being challenged every night no one ever accused the the 2017 Dodgers of being overconfident that was a group you know brimming with confidence and its ability it's when the results on the field don't necessarily match the rhetoric is when there becomes sort of like a, a gap worth investigating shake it when you talk to people around the league I know you have a lot of great stories and you have a lot of great connections was it the same kind of attitude that people had about the Dodgers that they had about themselves where they thought they were too good or was it a team that should be in the World Series I think there's certainly a subcurrent around the league that the Dodgers and I don't mean this in terms of the players, but more in terms of the people who run the team, are so smart sometimes they outsmart themselves. And it was interesting that when the Dodgers got into the playoffs, they actually weren't the team with the greater imagination in the National League Championship Series or in the World Series. Because in the NLCS against Milwaukee, the Brewers were running their pitchers out in all sorts of unorthodox formations. They had Wade Miley come out for one batter and then leave the game as a starter. When you got into the... World Series, the Red Sox were shuffling in Chris Sale and David Price and Nate Eovaldi, their, arguably their top three starters, in whatever roles they could find. And the Dodgers were sitting there, you know, Clayton Kershaw's our game one starter, Hunjin Ryu, Walker Bueller, Rich Hill. They looked like a normal baseball team. But the trouble was they were also dependent on the platoon matchups that they had developed all season. So they didn't operate with a starting lineup and a bench like most teams traditionally do. They just had alternating pieces they could mix and match. And ultimately, that meant in October, when you have a lot of days off because of television, that players might have been losing their timing and guys who used to be able to perform 
two and three times a week. Now we're not able to do it when they're facing really good pitching and they're getting more time off. The analytics argument from you bring that up with other people talking the view of the front office from the fans or like they're not going to bunt anymore it doesn't happen in baseball it's <laughs> there is no more stealing just get it get like you have to evolve and with full disclosure i work at spectrum sports Network. i'm every now and then i'll get to be one of the dodgers tv hosts i don't cover baseball anymore i get to enjoy it as a fan i take my kids they're going out there and it seems like the last time i covered baseball full-time 2014 it's changed so much from that to now and I grew up playing baseball. It's my favorite sport. I don't recognize what's on the field at times. I couldn't imagine a pitcher, a starting pitcher, going for one batter like Milwaukee did. Or, heck, even a six-out save like Kenley Jansen was attempting to do. Is the World Series and the way the playoffs are happening now, or is it ever going to go back, or is it just going to continue to be this computer-driven world? I mean, I covered the 2015 Royals, you know, who who won the World Series, and and they were a completely different style of baseball than what you see now is the norm. You know, they put the ball in play, they didn't strike out much, they went first to third, they tried to steal bases, they didn't hit many home runs. Like they might have ranked like last in the American League in hitting home runs one of the years that they went to the World Series. So it's not inconceivable that a team will do that. It's just very unlikely because there's groupthink in baseball, yeah. right? And a lot of the teams have all decided that the way to build specifically an offense is search for power above all else, power and getting on base and less value is being placed on guys who put the ball in play and can go first to third and can hit the ball the other way. And now it's power, 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 which, you know, when it works, it looks great. And when it doesn't work, it's utterly miserable to watch. And a good example of like how those Royals teams are thought of is like the, the projection models had them like finishing like what and like. Fourth yeah, and fifth place the year, in division every year. Yeah, in the the year they won the World Series, Pakota had them winning seventy two games. They yeah. won like ninety five. Right. So as much as the fan base of the Dodgers might say, "Oh, the Dodgers, you they use analytics too much." Well, every team uses analytics to some degree or another. You just can't compete in today's game without it. But what you end up with is teams emphasizing power, as Andy said. So pitchers with a hundred mile an hour fastballs are prized above all. And therefore, there's a lot more strikeouts because those pitches are hard to hit. Guys who take a lot of pitches and get on base, they're prized. That takes a while, too. You don't see the bunts, the hit and runs, the steals that used to excite fans. You see a bunch of guys swinging with the kind of uppercuts that would have had them sent to double A 10 years ago. And now they're, you know, launch angle heroes hitting home runs. Launch angle heroes. They are. <laughs> it's a great name for a band, yeah. but it may not be a great way to play baseball. They're it's at actually kinda, weekend too. Yeah, it's kind of boring to watch. So while every team is doing what it needs to do to win, the people in the league office are very concerned that these games are just going on and on. There's six pitchers coming in, individual matchups. There's no action on the bases. There's no balls put in play. And the tension now in baseball is how do you legislate that? Do you legislate in ways that will tell teams you cannot do what you think is the most effective way to win because it's taking too long, our attendance is going down, which it is, the TV ratings are going down, whatever your metric. And if baseball comes in and says, okay, you can now use only three relief pitchers in every game, that changes the way the game's played. You, just for me, watching these games and reacting what people were doing on Twitter. Just I'm just going this from the fan perspective because I haven't been in a clubhouse in a long time and I don't know the players anymore. I don't know the vibe, the chemistry of how it is anymore. Like the day where Matt Kemp was going to sit on the bench after hitting a home run or Max Muncy's on, it just, I guess I'm getting older now where I'm like, what's going on here? Like if you're hot, you're hot, you stay. But no, the computer's going to tell you something different. The Red Sox have computers too, right? 
it's not just Alex Cora managing by his gut, right? They have the same analytics. They have the same Harvard-educated, Ivy League-educated <laughs> people, right? Don't they? Well, I mean, yeah, you look at Steve Pierce, right? He's the World Series MVP. If the Dodgers used right-handed pitching, he wouldn't have played. Right. He hits left-handed pitching. That's what he does. And that's why he starts. He starts against lefties. The Dodgers use lefties. And so uh, every team does a version of it. It's just, you know, when it doesn't work, it's annoying. It's annoying to see Cody Bellinger hit a home run on, you know, Monday. And then you go to the park on Tuesday. You turn on the game on Tuesday. And the other team is starting uh, a lefty and he's on the bench. But the reason he's there is because in the past he's been given chances against that lefty and hasn't come through, you know, like there's same thing with Jock Peterson or Yaziel Puig against lefties or, you know, Matt Kemp against uh, righties. So there is a reason for it. It's just, I don't know. It's like tedious. I, I you know, it's just, just, uh, yeah. okay. And because you're around the team, who makes the lineup Roberts or the front office? It's a combination. It's collaborative. And I don't think that's unique to the Dodgers. I think that's every team. Is that something new, Shake? Well, in the grand scheme of the 100-plus years of baseball, it's new. But as Andy was saying, it's all a collaborative effort these days. And I think Dodger fans who've grown up here on Tommy Lasorda as sort of the face of the team, or maybe in a more recent generation, Mike Sosha is the face of the team in Anaheim. It just doesn't work that way anymore. And so when a general manager is trying to hire a manager, you're not trying to hire a guy who's going to act on some independent, impulsive thoughts. You're hiring a guy who's going to run a clubhouse first and foremost and get the players to buy in, but not buy in just to what the manager wants, buy into what the front office wants, which is an extremely difficult thing because there are many times, and I think Andy would know this even better than I would, where Dave Roberts is trying to sell guys on stuff that he doesn't necessarily believe in. But this is what the group has come up with, and Dave's sort of the messenger. And then he has to do it to the media, which is an even harsher <laughs> trick. A lot of massaging yeah. of egos yeah. is his job. That's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, sure. so just piggyback sort of what we were talking about earlier. The Dodgers, every team does this. We mentioned Steve Pierce. So Mitch Moreland hits the home, three-run home run mm-hmm. there in whatever game it was, four. four. The difference with the Dodgers is they do it, like every player on the roster in the starting lineup except for like two. It was like Manny Machado and Justin Turner were playing every day. Everyone else was not playing every day. Except for Austin Barnes, I guess, because after Grand Dog <laughs> had, had his troubles. Yeah, so I basically, like Austin Barnes. He's a nice so ba- basically, they just took it to the extreme. But we're seeing that in baseball nowadays. That's, mm-hmm. This is how it is, and we're talking about you know the games got really long and all these ch- pitching changes and all that. And it's it's to the nth degree in the playoffs just because you know the days off in between games and stuff. And we're just seeing unorthodox sort of thing, and it's just going the way baseball is until they make changes. You said massaging egos. I'm gonna ask you this first because you're the new one to the city. How was your relationship with Roberts? I mean, he's been very cool with me so far. I mean, I just get into another guy, so I don't really have much but, to but offer. Seen from the because you were in Washington, where <laughs> managers were getting fired every year. Right. Yeah. Well, that was just there on the other extreme in terms of like how they treat managers, and um, I mean, Dusty Baker shouldn't have been let go last year, and they had their own situation this year with Dave Martinez, and you know, questions about his sort of the clubhouse culture and whether they turned on him and whatnot, but. It seemed like guys like Dave Roberts, He, I think he represents the organization really well. He handles the media really well. And he appears to buy in with the front office and does what they want him to do. Yeah, it's hard because you'll have Dodger fans who watch the World Series and get upset about you know, Dave Roberts pulling Rich Hill too early or this year or last year or whatever the case is. And they'll say, look, there's some great managers out there and they have ties to the Dodgers. Mike Sosha still lives closer to Dodger Stadium than Angel yes, Stadium. Hire him. Dusty Baker, great Dodger. Hire him. But those guys would not fit with the people that are running the Dodgers right now. I think Dusty could make it. I do, I honestly do. But I, I they would never hire him. But I do. Th- I Dusty's good. I think yes. Dusty, I think why Dusty wouldn't Socha or any of those guys work? 
in your opinion, Bill? Because they're from the era where the manager actually ran the clubhouse and made all the decisions and was the face of the team. And one of the reasons Socha ran into a little trouble toward the tenure ending in Anaheim was when Jerry DePoto was the Angels general manager. And DePoto had the same analytical information that everybody else did. He wanted the players to share it. And the trouble was not that Socha wasn't receptive to the information. It was that he wanted the information all to go through him and the coaches. He didn't want the front office guys coming in and talking to players directly and handing out information. And that's a, a daily, if not hourly, thing happening at Dodgers. Is that what happened with the Dodgers? Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's collaboration between, you know, the coaches. I mean, they, you know, the coaches, different guys in the baseball ops department, you know, there's been stories of players going directly to Andrew Friedman and saying, you know, help me out with X and he'll, you know, come back to them with information to help them. So it depends on what sort of structure you're looking for. Are you looking for like a Google-y structure, like sort of how now we have at the times where there's no like doors and no like walls? Or do you want like a militaristic structure where it's top down, everything is about chain of command, et cetera, et cetera. And I think not that sort of business has proven to always be accurate, but I think you're seeing in how companies are built now that they want more collaboration. And so there's that sort of like new school vibe that permeates from the front office down. You want everyone to feel comfortable talking to everyone else. It's very interesting because I'm asking questions that fans are probably really curious about. And it's just weird for me that a couple years ago, I used to know who the GM was, who the assistant, who was the director of scouting. Now it's, I went and I did this where I looked at the Red Sox uh, front office. And I looked at names. I saw Dave Dombrowski, longtime baseball man. And then I saw Brian Bannister is the VP, <laughs> former Royals pitcher, went to USC. I'm like, this guy was pitching a couple years ago. Now he's a vice president. And then a bunch of names in the analytics department, but they don't have where you can click on their bio. Right. And I saw yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the Lakers did this. And I remember a bunch of, so I went and looked at other front offices, websites. You can never click on who the director of operations are or the analyst. It's like they're a secret world. Like they if they walk by right now, are, yeah. you don't know who they are. They might be an intern or they might be an usher. You have mm -hmm. no clue why this secret world about these analysts. You want an edge. <laughs> yeah, basically. Well, they're like snipers or what? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's a, it's ridiculous. I mean, they're obviously doing things at a higher level than like the publicly available data, yeah. you know, in terms of it's like just baseball. I, I'm with you. I mean, I think it's utterly ridiculous that these, the level of secrecy that these teams have about their, you know, their nerds. Like, like, oh no, you can't. Are you call them nerds? Yeah. Are I mean, you allowed to call them nerds? I'm a nerd. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I mean, like you're part of the Syracuse Mafia, though. That's a no, different world. No, 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 no. I'm not in the broadcast school, but okay. uh, but you know, like they won't make their like your director of analytics available. You don't even they don't even have like a director of analytics anymore. They just have all these different quants who are all there in the old visitors clubhouse, and like you can't talk to any of them. But that's just that's becoming more and more apparent at, at even outside. Like the Dodgers don't want people talking to their coaches. You know, they don't want. Wait, wait, how do you get stories? Yeah, great question. Well, because uh, they luck, run Jorge. their own media. <laughs> what the Dodgers want is for you to turn on their team-owned television station, their team-owned radio station, their team-owned website, and get the happy news they deliver. They're happy to provide sources for those stories. But the outside me, like the LA Times and everybody else who are the beat guys, if you want to write a story about the analytics department and praise them how good it is, you can't find these guys? They're just not. They're just considered unavailable. Yeah. I mean, it was like that with the Royals, too. I would. I tried to get in touch. You know, I wanted to do something on how they're like old school outfield coach worked with like the new school like Quan, and they were just like, yeah, uh, all questions for the Quan will be directed to Dayton Moore. Yeah, I'm I mean, like, okay, hold on, hold on. Sorry. I just heard the word Quant. I remember that from the show Billions. Now, I don't know anything else. What's a Quant? A quantitative analysis analyst. 
Nationals well, are the same way. We're talking about baseball, right? This is different than the short. Just numbers, games. man. It's just like batting average used to be the old way of like you know yeah. tracking. It's just tracking. It's just information that they track. I mean, it's the same thing as batting average and RBI. Now we just know like why that batting average is what it is, and yeah. you know what's more valuable. We're seeing in every sport. That's why yeah. ba- basketball teams are shooting more three pointers than ever. Yeah. It's better than shooting a two pointer. Basketball have the eye in the sky. It's it's the problem with world. baseball is analytics is ruining the sport, while football and basketball it's making it more exciting. <laughs> Wait, but is it making basketball more exciting? Because isn't there that argument that like the Rockets were awful to watch yeah, and like they're kind of the well, future? If you're, if you're not making it. If you're not if you're, making if you're shots. the shots, yeah. yeah. And, like, the NFL, I mean, well, outside of, like, the public health issues, like, that's kind of worse. Like, I think this is something that's happening in all sports right. is that— I mean, I, I'm for information. It's just sure. when you take it too serious. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Like, we get into sports to have fun, right? Yeah. Here's the dichotomy to me is if I'm hired to run a baseball team, I'm the general manager, probably now I'm the president of baseball operations. <laughs> I have one job, right? That's to put a winning team on the field. Yep. And I want to exhaust every possible edge I can. Of course. I don't care. And increasingly this is true because general managers used to care about public relations, not so much anymore. I don't care what the public thinks of me. I want to do the job. And if I have to not say something, because I think that gives my team an extra 0.5% edge, fine, I won't talk. Where, as you talk about, the game could be more fun. There could be more personalities. They could expose the players more. There are great stories to be written, even about the quants, if you will. The Dodgers have a guy who, I forget his title now, but he works on the mental side of things. He has some background with the Navy SEALs. What? Um, They try to maximize players' performance, not only in the weight room, but also with their brain. And this is not unique to the Dodgers. And I thought it'd be an interesting story, you know. How much sleep, for example, is maximal? Do you want your team to travel all night after a night game, or do you want to wait till the next day to travel? Yeah, Things the NBA like that. did a lot of that research. Yeah. Too. yeah. So let's find out what the Dodgers are thinking about it. It's not anything too terribly controversial, but we would rather you not write about that. Because they think it's a, it's like that whatever point zero zero one percent edge. And you're right. They don't care about the public relations because if they win, the fans are going to love them. That's how all teams are now, huh? That's how a, a lot, the majority are. There, I know a lot, of that, a lot of the NBA teams are like that yeah. where it's do not look at our guys, do not talk to them. So NBA at Staples Center, you can sit on the bench while the guys are shooting, warming up, before the crowd's even allowed in. One team's like, you do not sit on our bench. I'm like, wait a minute. We, we always sit here. <laughs> this, is, this is what we do as media guys. We sit here and we talk about other stuff. Like, no, this is for players only. There's no player on the court right now. It's right. five o'clock, and it's just no. It's that one advantage that you want to have. I think, yeah. I mean, I think like the Spurs are supposed to be oh. like that, <laughs> but like, but the <laughs> good but luck like, with that. The Warriors are, are considered the exact opposite yeah. from what I've heard. They're like incredibly open, yeah. so like you can do it both ways. And really, in the end, if you learn anything from the Warriors, the way you win is getting incredible talent. I mean, yes. that's why you that go to the helps, World right? Series. That's why the Red Sox won the World Series. Right. They had great players playing well, and so you can fight as much for these small competitive edges because they're low risk propositions. It's high risk to go out on the free agent market and pick the right guy. So this is where all their brain power is now because teams are afraid to gamble the money and the resources and the embarrassment like that Theo Epstein got for spending a lot of money on guys this offseason. If he had done nothing, no one would have said, well, you know, Theo, well, what's he doing? He, he could have just said like, oh, well, I was maximizing our blah, 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 blah. But instead, he went and put $150 million on guys who ended up stinking, and now he got blamed for it. So executives act not only in what they think is in their team's best interest, but in their own best interest a lot of times. Well, that goes the other way, too, because the Dodgers last winter – Spent only two million dollars in free agency on a guy who never threw a pitch the entire season. Uh, they, they didn't win the World Series either. Four million dollars, shake. Who? Chase Utley. Come on, let's be fair. Well, he, he was coming back. 
<laughs> Who's the guy that didn't throw a pitch? Tom, Tom Kohler. Tom Kohler. Very nice young man. Great Twitter account. Yeah, Good nice follow. nice guy. It's a shame. Very nice guy. This offseason, what are the Dodgers do shaking? First thing's Clayton Kershaw's situation. And he's been, as we all know, the most dominant pitcher in baseball for the last decade. And by earned run average, the best starting pitcher in Major League history over the past hundred years. And if Clayton Kershaw were playing 10 years ago, there would be no question. He would be on the market. He would get some huge contract for probably $200 million because teams had not gone as far analytically. And they would say, marquee player, great guy, works hard, has these great numbers. He's already past 30. He's been on the disabled list in each of the past three years. He has a back issue that you know, it's just not going to get that better because as all of us with bad backs know, they just don't. He's lost velocity on his fastball. What do you see going forward? And that picture is not going to be a $200 million picture. So it's up to Clayton and his agent and the Dodgers to come up with something that will keep everyone happy because the most likely outcome, I think, is that you know he'll stay with the Dodgers on some sort of modified contract. So like the Albert Pujols where you're getting $30 million when you're 45 years old, those days are done. That's a great example. If Pujols were on the free agent market, I think even today, I think he was already on the wrong side of 30 when he signed with the Angels, and I don't think that contract exists. In fact, we'll find out this winter because everybody's always said age is the problem. You don't want to give too many old guys too many big, fat contracts. Well, the two premium free agents this year are our good friend Manny Machado and Bryce Harper from Jorge Castillo's Washington Nationals. They're both 26. You could theoretically give them a 10-year contract and think they'll be valuable for most of it, but maybe not now. Maybe you don't want to do that. Machado, 26, Harper, 26, or Kershaw, 30? He's 30. He's 30. just turned 30 last spring. And he's got some miles on him. He's got (laughs) more innings pitched. I looked through the pitchers who have gotten, I believe it was $100 million or more contracts, at the time they got them, and he's got more innings than, than anybody. And you nodded your head. You say Kershaw stays? Yeah, I think he stays. I think he provides a value beyond sort of the on-field performance. Just being a Dodger for life would be, I think, a good thing for the franchise. And you know, Does that still matter? You guys just I told think, me they don't worry about it. But I think— I think ownership— Yeah. Baseball um, ops doesn't need to care about it. Right, but, but I think ownership right, Baseball ops, no. The PR side says, please keep Kershaw for PR. Yeah, he's been here for the last 10 years. For all of his postseason, you know, sort of troubles or whatever you want to call it, he's still been the best pitcher of his generation. He's sort of the face of the franchise. He's he's a guy that fans have grown to love. And I think that that's, there's some value there. And you've seen it now where if you have any kind of success as a Dodger, they will love you. And they will put you on the side. They will put you in the ring of honor. Like Hershiser, I'm not, mind your Bulldog had all kinds of records too when he won the World Series. But he steps out there 30 years later, throughout the first pitch, a huge ovation. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like, and look at Pujols. I mean, he could have been yeah. sainted for life in St. Louis. Sorry, bad pun. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. But he comes to Anaheim. He was in St. Louis, arguably the best player in baseball. He's never been the best player in his team in Anaheim because Mike Trout's been there. Yeah, Wait, probably. what did they call him in St. Louis? What he was God? No, no, no. Uh, El Hombre. El Hombre, right? Yeah, it's out of sight, out of mind now, right? Yeah, and the other thing with Kershaw is we thought for two, three, four years that when he got the chance to opt out, the logical place for him to go would be home and play for the Texas Rangers. And now, unfortunately, for the Texas Rangers and their fans, they're terrible. And they're going to take probably two or three years to rebuild. And, you know, I don't know how much longer Clayton Kershaw wants to pitch, but I don't know if he's going to be effective through that range. And I don't think he cares as much about a legacy with the Dodgers as certainly the fans do, but he cares very much about winning. 
He doesn't talk much about his priorities, but he always says how grateful he is to be with the Dodgers, not because of the beaches or not necessarily because of the fans, but because he's got a chance to go to the World Series every year. And two years ago, he might have said that with the Rangers, but he's even said he cannot say that today. How do you deal with him? I get along fine with him. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's more accommodating in terms of just availability than pretty much any other like superstar athlete I've been around. You can talk to him every day of the week if you know his schedule and if you have a relationship with him. Now, that said, you talk to him in like two minute chunks. He doesn't, he's not someone. He's not loquacious. He's not someone who wants to give you half an hour of his time. He's very conscious about his time management and, uh, and, but he will make himself available as a necessity, and I and I, you know, uh, credit him for that because a lot of guys blow people off, a lot of guys say no or whatever, and he stops and talks. and And there's a lot of occasions during the year where you need to get him for three minutes or whatever. For a player that's grown up in L.A., showed up with what, 19, 20 years old. I think I was there a couple weeks afterwards. We've seen him grow up. He's the face of the Dodgers. Yeah, we don't know much about this guy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's purposeful. I mean, I also, I don't know if there's that much. I mean, much, we know enough, but we don't know. I don't know if there's know. that much to know. I mean, he's kind of, you know, just like no athlete of that stature is normal, right? Like, no, no you know, the 1%. So, so he behaves in ways uh, in terms of like his dedication to routine, in terms of like the, the slavishness he has to, you know, time management and the fact that every day when you get there to the ballpark at 2 p.m., he's alone running in the outfield. I mean, that's his identity. You know, we don't know a ton about who he is off the field but you know outside of his charity work and you know trying to be i think a a good father to his children i don't know if he's that interesting of a person like you know he likes watching the office on netflix with his wife like you know he's in a lot of ways he's kind of like a dork you know, you calling people nerds? <laughs> dorks? Well, I mean, after it, McCullough. No, but like you know, he's a relatively normal person. I think away from the field, it's just when he's at the ballpark, he's different than a lot of guys. He's not laid back. He's not, you know, he has a bark. He's a red ass. I mean, he can be. Yeah, I mean, he's very serious about his craft, and I think in a time when you when you're on the beat and you run into guys who are less serious you run into guys who you know take days off or guys who don't always give their best effort there is something commendable about him and that in his sort of whether he's doing it for himself whether he's doing it for his team whatever you know you take the results and i think that's what separates him from the pack because it's not necessarily the stuff you know especially now you know, you talk to like scouts about like how he gets people out now because his arsenal sh- should not allow him to get people out. And they just say he outwills them. He not outsmarts them, but just out sort of competes. You know, he he challenges people and wins the competition. I mean, ERA is not the best way to sort of measure a pitcher, but it was the eighth best ERA among pitchers yeah. with 150 innings. And he did not have the stuff to, to sort of perform at that level. He was just, you know, he's just making it work. Should he be in L.A. next year? I think he should. I think it makes a lot of sense for the reasons that where I talked about, he makes more sense in LA really than he does anywhere else because he has the history and the legacy and the link to Sandy Koufax that has been nurtured over years. And the two are not just, you know, good left-handed pitchers whose names started with K. They're actually friends. I think that's a huge value to but to the Dodgers. You know Koufax a little bit. Didn't you write about him in the past? Nobody knows him more than a little. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not Jane Levy. No, no, but, but, yeah. but I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm exactly. Yeah. I but, doubt she knows him. I mean, yeah, but yeah. it's for Kershaw to even show up at Dodger Stadium is rare. It's but, huge. And for him and Kurt, uh almost said Crenshaw like that one fan. Him and Kershaw had the relationship. How'd that happen? Do you know? Well, he started showing up again was the first thing because he had some 
conflicts with the Dodgers when they were owned by Fox and Rupert Murdoch's News Corp because of things were written in tabloid publications that were far from Los Angeles. But uh, Sandy didn't want to be a part of that, and he was too dignified to say anything. He just stayed away. And although we don't usually give Frank McCourt credit for a lot of things, one of the things he did do was get Koufax back into the fold. And I think one of the most amazing pictures that we saw during this year's playoffs was Walker Buehler walking off the mound during the World Series after a great performance and Sandy Koufax getting up out of his chair and standing and cheering him. That's the kind of legacy thing that, you know, you really only get with the Dodgers or a couple other franchises. You know, last year in the World Series, game one, who's throwing out the first pitch? Jackie Robinson's wife. Where do you get that? I think Koufax and Kershaw are two of the few people in the world who can relate to each other. I, I just, I don't think there's many human beings on earth who understand how, who Clayton Kershaw probably feels like understand his life and i think koufax is one who classifies it's just always cool when you see sandy koufax at dodger stadium world series next year are the dodgers there probably not too early to tell man it depends on there free agency give, the, give the people hype here Jorge. yeah it's, it's too early i mean it depends how free agency plays out and you know there's always you know um do they make the playoffs next year this, yes yes all right i mean on paper they're the best team in the national league still and even if the phillies add machado and harper like unless it's like the Cubs adding Machado and Harper and whatever Dallas Keuchel or something like the the Dodgers are going to have the most talent. It's just a matter of like will they play like they did in 2017 or will they play like they did in 2018 when you know they sort of acted like everything was just going to be handed to them. No analytics here. Just gut feeling. Roberts managing this team this year. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. So Kershaw, Roberts are back. Machado. Yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) Arrive early. Leave late. (laughs) No. Uh, For Jorge Castillo, your social media is? Uh, Jorge Castillo. With a J. With a J, yeah. Jorge, not George. All right. Bill Shaken, your your Twitter? Bill Shaken, with a B. (laughs) (laughs) Andy McCullough, new whatever guy at the LA Times. I don't know what you're Yeah, you can follow me at Dylan O. Hernandez. Oh, there (laughs) it is. Real cool podcast about the state of the Dodgers, the World Series, and moving forward. Good story times with Andy McCullough, Bill Shaken, and Jorge Castillo have them on later on as the rotisserie league gets going. I'm Beth Duran. Thank you for listening to Arrive Early, Leave Late, produced by Dave Wine, engineered by Mike Heflin. I'm Beth Duran. Thank you for listening. Rate and share. Let all your friends know about Arrive Early, Leave Late, the new LA Times sports podcast brought to you by LA Times Studios Production. Production.